Amen. It's so good. Man, if you can get that in your knower, not just in your thinker. You can get that in your subconscious. That He takes you just as you are right now. He takes you. He's not asking you to get all cleaned up before you come. He's the one that does that. So we got to come from a place where we live from that, where that is our subconscious layer. Um, that's where we live from. And we don't have to start looking up scriptures to make major decisions in our life. Not that anything's wrong with that. We get so love conscious that we're confident as we move every day in our little activities then we get trained for the big activities. And so we have to become conscious, subconscious of that, to live from that place. Have your Bibles. Um, Zephaniah chapter 3. <laughs> Threw you off, didn't I? Like, where is that? Is that in the Bible? <laughs> Zephaniah uh, helps anybody. Mine's on page 1297. Um, if that helps you. But, um, that's where mine is. Um, I'm going to read out of New King James. Um, and, um, Dr. Simmons has finished writing the Old Testament. And um, I can't wait for it to be all in one book. But Zephaniah chapter 3 will be in the New King James Version. Starting in verse 14. He says, Sing, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel, be glad and rejoice with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. What should we be doing? Be glad, rejoice, we're shouting. It's a place of jubilant joy, right? Up to this point, he's talking about a faithful remnant right before this. This remnant is us. This remnant that is going about the world. There is a remnant of people just like us in this room who are finally saying no to religion and no to the world. Jesus speaks against both of those things and warns against the leaven of both of those things. Meaning that if you have a little bit of it, it can affect the whole loaf. And so there is a remnant of people who is finally coming together and believing that His Word is true and that His Word, what it says, I'm going to bank on it. Even if it doesn't look like that in this world, I'm going to bank on it. And up to this point, He says, there's a time coming. And we, we can go to verse 8, and He's talking about the things that He is going to do on the earth, the prophecy that is coming, which is Jesus coming. And then He talks about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And then He talks about the... The coming together of a pure language. It got destroyed at the Tower of Babel. And he says there will be a pure language that will be restored on the day of Pentecost. That, that was restored by the gift of tongues. It was coming out and it was a pure language that was restored from Babylon to now. So that we as a body of Christ around the world are speaking the language of the Spirit. Because the Spirit of God searches the deep things of God. And then reveals them to his people. So what happens is, as we're speaking the pure language, what's happening is, is he's searching the deep things of God and revealing them to his people. No matter where we are in this world, he's speaking one language. And what he is bringing upon this earth is, is, is love, 
His grace message, His righteousness message, because if you can't get that, Paul says, without that revelation, you're not going to grow to maturity. And so as he's establishing that, he's not just getting us to a place of understanding righteousness so we get out of sin free car. But he's revealing righteousness so that we are established as sons and we look just like him. It is a bride making herself ready for the coming of that day. Verse 15, the Lord has taken away your judgments. He has cast out your enemy. Who was that? Satan. In all his territory. The king of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. Right? No longer the veil's ripped. We don't have to go into inside a temple building. We don't have to go into that place for He is now in our midst and dwells with His people, not only with us, but in us. You shall see disaster no more. In that day it shall be said, Jerusalem, do not fear. Zion. Where is Zion? That's right. We are the Zion people, right? Zion, you people. Let not your hands be weak. The Lord your God is in your midst. The mighty one will save. He will rejoice where? Over you. With gladness. He takes me just as I am. I was just singing that. He will quiet you with his what? Love. He will rejoice over you with what? Singing. He takes me just as I am. You got to believe that. Because if we don't believe that, we'll never come into his presence fully. We'll still be like Adam and Eve, naked, but ashamed and hiding. And he's called us out. And says, don't be afraid. I want to look, look at you face to face in your eyes and tell you how much I love you. So go with me to Song of Solomon, chapter 1. Song of Solomon, chapter 1. And he opens it up by saying this. The most amazing song, what? Of all. Maybe you might want to know it. Right? For so long, we try to stay away from it. One, because we don't understand it, maybe. There are three types of ways of looking at Song of Solomon. And so one is like metaphorically, and then husband and wife, and things of that nature. We can do all that, but really, this story, this song, you are the Shulamite bride in this story, and Jesus is the bridegroom. And so when we look at that, it is the most amazing song of all. Look at verse 2. Let him, now you are the Shulamite, let him smother me with what? Kisses. His spirit kiss divine. So kind are your caresses and I drink them in like the sweetest wine. The Greek word here is actually a Hebrew word. Um, Nashak is, um, is to equip you with this kiss. So this intimacy and this kiss is to equip you and ready you for battle. 
Do we have a battle? Do we still have a battle? Yes. The war is no longer between God and the enemy. He's already cast him out. He's already judged him. He's on this earth so that now the people of God will destroy him. Right? New Testament says that Jesus will be waiting until we finish it. That's work to do. But how do we do it? Right? Wednesday night. Tough word if you're looking at that word wrong. We analyzed and went through scripture of pick up your cross, come follow me. Those types of passages. We looked at passages that are very hard where he says, let the bury go bury their own dead. Come follow me. Right? Those things look really hard and a radical message. Why would Jesus tell us to do that? If we are not in love. And I gave this example Wednesday night. I said, Julie, whenever we started dating and I'm captivated by her and I'm like, who was that? Right? I'm drawn to the presence of her. And the more I'm around her, the more I want to be around her. She did not sit me down that day when I saw her and says, this is going to be hard, Brian. I got some issues. <laughs> she didn't say that. <laughs> she didn't say, you're going to have to, this is going to cost you a lot of time. But she didn't tell me that. She didn't say, you might even lose some of your friends in this. She didn't tell me that. But guess what happened? I spent a lot of time. We were in college, right? And then, so like, I want to see her whenever I get home in the evening times. Gotta be college and I'd work, get in, still want to spend some time with her, right? Couldn't wait to get back to her. Now I'd spend 12 midnight, 2 o'clock in the morning, then get up at 5 and get ready to go do it all over again. And couldn't wait to do it all over again. Because I finna go see her again, right? It wasn't, hey, you're gonna have to spend this time with me. You see what I'm saying? It's the in love factor that we're missing when we're talking about the radical obedience that Christ is asking us to do. You will not be able to sustain that without being in love. I was able to sustain that because I was in love, right? There were friends that I was real close to. We're not, we wasn't as close anymore because now I have someone I am confiding in and this is the person that I am spending my time and my energy in. Does that make sense? So it is the in love portion that we can't miss when we're looking at those radical obedience that he's calling us to. And he's calling us to that because we have a war. But notice what he says in this passage. This word kiss is tied into he kisses you and then readies you for battle. Right? So the other night, y'all know, again, very thankful for Brent last week preaching. Um... And uh, if you haven't listened to that message, it's on podcast. Very good message about us bringing the oil. We're all responsible. When we come in this place together, we all bring in, in the oil um, as we tend to that fire, right, that we put on. Um, and so very good message. Appreciative of that. And so one of the things that um, been having some issues and didn't really know what it was still really don't know other than maybe a spiritual battle really i've come to you know terms with like physically i can find nothing they did mris of my head the brain's still there um 
And so, um, other than like, like digging in and spiritual battle. So one of the things when those things started happening, I almost passed out at Brent's house and um, I was just sweaty and just went white and just all kinds of things. But everything they check out physically, I'm good. Like they say, blood pressure's good, blood work's good, MRI, good. I don't feel good, but it's good, right? Um, and so every day just going into that battle. And so one of the things I told Brent, I told Alex, I said, first couple of days, I said, I am trying to hear from God and it is so hard. I cannot concentrate because the head was hurting so bad that there was like noise and it was keeping me from hearing. And uh, I said, if I could just hear his voice, I would feel so much better. And, um, and finally, after like day two, the first thing I heard him say was make no agreements. And that was it. Silence. So I'm thinking, all right, make no agreements with any of this stuff, right? None. He didn't say make a little agreement as long as it's a little thing wrong with you. He said make zero agreements, right? And so that word has come up into my spirit several times because every time somebody says, well, maybe it's this, or maybe it's that, or maybe it's this, or maybe it's that, I would hear him rise up in my spirit and say, make no agreements. Without his voice, without the rhema word of God to live on fresh and daily, I could have made some agreements, right? And so even like even at the latter part of this week, I've been hearing him say, make no agreements. Like even yesterday, I was thinking, I was like, maybe somebody's cursing me. Let me just, my finger just. Whoever they are, just some. I'm finna just start. Like Alex, pull that sword out. I'm finna just start fighting this somebody. And I did. I just started claiming things, and I was like, "There's no incantations, no no spells, no web weaves, nothing, nothing." I mean, it's can't you know in Jesus' name. And then I started to get riled up on the inside, like I'm mad at people. I'm starting thinking maybe she's a witch, maybe he's a witch. And I'm sorry. <laughs> and I'm just like doing that. And so then, and then again, he steadied me, and I heard him say, "Make no agreements." And I was like, "Well, that's not really an agreement." He said, "Here's the deal, and not that we don't need to ever do that." He says, "I need you to be so confident that I love you, like I love my son." He didn't walk around in turmoil thinking who was out to curse him. And I said, mm, that's good, right? And so the night before I was supposed to get the results for the MRI, I hadn't been really nervous about the MRI. And then all of a sudden I woke up in the middle of the night and I was nervous. I'm like, oh, snap. Because I had this dream that I'm going to get a bad report. And I was like, mm-mm, I can't do this, I can't do this. And so I just pray until I go to sleep. And then my eyes just pop open at 1.36 a.m. Now look at the clock, and it doesn't say 136. All I can see on that clock is it says Hebrews 13.6. It wasn't like I was like trying to find, was there a passage that's 1 or 36? It, I mean, I saw the whole thing out. So I just immediately opened Hebrews 13.6. Listen to what this says. Hebrews 13.6. I open up, and this is what I read. So we can say with great confidence. Remember, I'm nervous. I know the no keyword. The Lord is for me, and I will never be afraid of what people may do to me. That's good. And I said, like liquid love. And I said, 
Thank you for your sweet kisses. And I go to sleep. This is the relationship that he's called us to. Is to be equipped for battle by his love kisses. That's what he's calling us to, right? So when we use the term, these kisses that he's talking about, when we use this term, it's not just thinking about him kissing me physically, okay? And he does, right? He wants to kiss you, wants to hold you, wants to hug you. But I want you to think more deeper than that. I want you to think about God awakening your heart with his power and his love. When he talks about his kisses and he mentions his kisses, which is going to be all throughout the Song of Solomon. Think about Him awakening to you His power and His love. Think about God's Spirit coming upon you like we talked and sang about this morning, like fresh fire coming upon you and, and, and resting on you, right? Because that's what He does. He doesn't come here and there and yonder like He did in the Old Testament. He's coming to rest upon you. So think of God's Spirit finally and just filling you with a fresh passion to know the bridegroom king. Listen to what Dr. Simmons says about a heavenly kiss. He says, A heavenly kiss that awakens the human spirit to his affections towards us. So it's an awakening you to the affections that he has for you. We give our hearts to his word and then we draw close. What does Scripture say? Draw close to God. James chapter 4. And he will... Draw close to you. So as we cry out for his kisses, we open our heart to him and we draw ourselves to him and he draws in and meets us in that secret place. Awakening us with the fresh kiss from God. Sinclair Ferguson, um, an article I read by him to the Gospel Coalition, this week and um, he says that Adam was actually created by the kiss of God. That as he breathed into him it was that mouth to mouth expression that we get in John chapter 1 where it says and the word was with God the word was God. Um, that word with pros meaning face to face meaning mouth to mouth. He breathed into him the kiss of God. He awakened Adam come to life. That's what He wants to do with us. So the kiss of His Word to our spirit becomes incarnate. And that what happened then? His Word, His breath, His kiss became incarnate. We see the man in flesh, which was Adam. Right? God comes to this earth in the form of Jesus as the Word becomes flesh. And He is wanting every day for His Word to be incarnate here on this earth where His Word becomes flesh in you and is expressed here on this earth. Right? So in Numbers 12.8, Moses, you remember Moses, it says that Moses talked to God how? How did he talk to Him? Who remembers? Say it loud. Face to face. Right? Face to face as a man talks to another man. Right? Face to face. That Hebrew word is much deeper than face-to-face in our English word. It actually means, just like we said before, mouth-to-mouth. The Word of God being breathed into Moses and then becoming incarnate, right? That same passage that we just said earlier in John chapter 1. 
cross, meaning face to face, mouth to mouth. That's what He's trying to get us into that connection where there's an intimacy between us and Him. The intimacy there with one another. We can't lose the intimacy that we have. Look at Revelation chapter 2, 4. In Revelation chapter 2, these are the letters that are sent to the people. Right? And so these, these churches have some really good things that are going on. But look at Revelation chapter 2. Verse 4, this is the church at Ephesus. He says, I know all you've done. This is verse 2. You have worked hard, persevered. I know that you don't tolerate evil, and you have tested those who claim to be apostles and proved they are not, for they were impostors. I also know how you have bravely endured trials and persecutions because of my name. Yet, you have not become discouraged, but I have this against you. You have abandoned the passionate love you had for me at the beginning. Think about how far you have fallen. Didn't sound like they had fallen very far. Did you hear all the things that they were doing? Sound like a good church to me. Sound like a good Western American church, right? Yeah. Wouldn't you say that if you saw that church? You'd say, "Boy, they're doing a pretty good job." And he says, "Think about how far you've fallen. Repent." Meaning, get his mindset, metanoia, a new mindset, which is his mindset. Get rid of your mindset and put on his and do the works of love you did at first. Meaning, you can't do it out of just strictly mere, I'm pushing myself to obedience. It is out of love. It's all love. 1 Corinthians 13. Without love, it's nothing. Right? He's trying to get them back to that first love. Look at chapter 3. Still talking to these different churches. This is the one in Sardis. He says, um, verse verse 2, I know that all you do, and I know that you have a reputation for being really alive, but you actually are dead. You have a reputation for being alive. What does that mean? That's right. If you have a reputation for being alive, what does that look like in the Western church? Just throw some out. Yeah, you're doing lots of good works, right? You're doing some awesome things. Might come up in the worship service. It's lit, got lights, got smoke, got a whole nine, right? We're always doing something for the community. We got it going on. You have a reputation for being one of those alive churches. I say you're dead. I say you're dead. That's a hard word. Wake up and strengthen all that remains before it dies. For I haven't found your works to be perfect in the sight of God. So remember all the things you received and heard. Then turn back to God and obey them. For if you continue to slumber, I will come to you like a thief and you'll have no idea what hour I will come. Yet there are still few in Sardis who have remained pure and they will walk in fellowship with me in brilliant light for they are worthy. Let me explain a couple of things right there. He's talking about a thief in the night. This, this goes back to the Hebrew tradition of a marriage. And the, and the groom would surprise the bride by coming and saying, it's time, let's get married. She wasn't ready. She wasn't there waiting and ready to go into the wedding chamber. What's he saying to us? I am wanting you intimately 
And if you're not ready for that, you're going to continue to be doing all these works and busying yourself and you're going to miss me the whole time. And that's not what I'm after. That is not what I'm after. I'm not after a bunch of good works. I'm not after a bunch of good things that you're doing. I'm after you and your heart. Now we can do some good things and co-labor together, but you're doing all that without me. And I'm not asking you to do it without me. I'm asking you to do it with me. That we're in love with one another and that we're doing this together. So remember all the things you received that you said and heard and come back to them. He said there are still a few in Sardis who remain pure. Think about that. Turn back to God and obey them for if you continue to slumber. These guys were working hard. They're doing a lot of good things and known as an alive church. And he says if you continue to slumber. What's he talking about? You're continuing to do the actions, but you're slumbering with me and you getting together. That's your slumber. Your slumber is not your works. Your slumber is intimacy, relationship. Us, the oneness that I desire for us to have in the secret place. To go over to verse 20. Very familiar that we use a lot. Behold, I'm standing at the door knocking. If your heart is open to hear my voice and you open the door, where? Within. I will come into you and feast with you and you will feast with me. Desiring intimacy with us. So go back to Song of Songs chapter 1. And he says, let him smother me with kisses. His spirit kissed divine, so kind are your caresses. I drink them in like the sweetest wine. How does, what's the first two words of verse two? First two words. Let him. He's a gentleman. Just like we just read in verse 20 of chapter three of Revelation. I stand at the door and I'm knocking. This is just like what you read in the Song of Solomon. I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking and I want to come in with you and I want to be with you and I want this relationship with you of intimacy with you and I'm desiring it. But you have to let me in. I'm not going to do anything you don't want me to do. Let Him. That's your responsibility to allow him in. Do not slumber anymore on this in Revelation chapter 3 to the church of Sardis. Don't slumber on this anymore. Let him in. Let him in. That's what he's asking for us to do. And so this continuing of kisses, I drink them in like the sweetest wine. There is a wordplay in Hebrew here. Like, like we say, there's a pun so it's like almost like a Hebrew pun in this where the word kisses and the word drink of wine are almost the exact same word. And so in that, what he's saying is the God lovers would be inebriated with his love. <laughs> so in Psalms 104 verse 5, wine is the pleasure of the earth. What's he saying then? He's better than wine. He's better than if wine is the pleasure of the earth. And he's saying, drink me in like that because I'm even better and more pleasurable than anything on the earth that nothing compares to his love. Let it come in. 
Let it come in. That's why Paul says in Ephesians, he says, don't get drunk with wine, but what? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. You talk about, Miss Mary, what happened that day when it fell fresh fire in this place? You still had to go home and just had to do what? Lay out. Almost like you've been on seven bottles of wine. Right? Because it's better. Better than anything on this earth. Think about the prodigal son story. Right? He gives, he's like, give me all your stuff. Give me all my stuff on me. I want my inheritance. In other words, he's telling the father what? I'm done with you. You might as well be dead to me. And he runs off. We know the story. He does all that stuff. And he's in the pig pen and he realizes, bro, even my daddy's servants ain't like this. I got to go back home. So he's all the way back home. What's he doing? What's he doing all the way back home? Rehearsing. What? What's he going to say? Back to his daddy, right? And so he'll let me back in. Now, Go to Old Testament passages. What does the law say? A son that was doing that and he comes back home. What was the law? The law that's in the Bible. What was the law? Stone him to death. So Jesus is telling the Pharisees this story. And they're listening. And they're like, oh yeah, finally. He's going to tell the truth. Tell the truth, shame different. He's going to tell it. They're getting excited. Oh yeah. Home fries, don't know what he got coming. He's practicing that story and he ain't going to barely get it out of his mouth and that first stone's going to walk. But Jesus turns the tables. And instead of the stone, what does he say? He stops the son's argument and begins kissing him over and over and over and over and over and over. Think how nasty he was. Think what he smelled like. He came from the pig pen. And he kissed him over and over and over and over and over and over. Jesus says in John chapter 15, verse 9, he loves us with the same intimate love that He loves His Son, Jesus. The same. The same love. Eli, go get the communion. With the same love that He loves His Son. The problem is is that we don't believe that. Like we hear Scripture and we're like, oh, that was, that's awesome. But our subconscious that I talked about earlier immediately wants to put up a wall. Like most of the time, whenever God's inviting us into intimacy, I just want you to picture this. Lots of times when He is inviting us to intimacy, like we don't want to look Him full in His face, not because we're scared of what we're going to see in Him, but because we're scared of what He's going to see in us. And that subconscious layer of that wall has to be broken down. He take me just as I am. Do it all over again, right? And so one of the things that I wanted to share with you today is 
one, this intimacy. But I want you to experience intimacy. I don't want us to just talk about it. Like, we can talk about it all day long, right? One of my favorite things that Francis Chan used to say a long time ago was, he said, the problem a lot of times with us in church is we want to sit around and talk about it. Like he says, if I ask my children to do something, I'm not telling them to all go to the bedroom, sit around and discuss what I told them I want them to do, and then they come back out. It's still not done. And when a lot of times we do that same thing, we sit around and we talk about it, but there's no change. We sit around and we talk about it, and there is not something actively taking place in us. So I need you to experience His love on you. So one of the things that we looked at a couple of weeks back in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, when we talked about communion, anybody remember? This is one of the only times it says that we have fellowship with Him, right? What did He say? He wanted unity, He wanted oneness with us, fellowship with us. I'll just remind you. Let me go to 1 Corinthians real quick. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. For when we pray for the blessing of the communion cup, isn't this our, listen to this, co-participation with the blood of Jesus? It's not just a symbol. It's your co-participation with the blood of Jesus. And the bread that we distributed, isn't this the bread of our co-participation with the body of Christ? So the blood and the bread is a co-participation where He shows up and meets you in intimacy. Not just when we take this little communion cup in this room, but He's inviting you that every time you eat, every time you drink something, every time to meet with Him and inviting... What did He say in Revelation 3.20? Saying is the door or not? Anyone open the door, I will come and sit with Him. I will come and, King James Version, sup with Him, in other words, an intimate meal together sharing of that, right? And so that's what he's asking us to do. So I want to show you something real quick in this intimacy that I want to prove my point, so to speak. But go to, with me to Luke chapter 24. So Jesus has been resurrected from the dead. He's beginning to appear to some people. And then look at um, 24 verse 13. Later that same day, two of Jesus' disciples were walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, a journey of about 17 miles. They were in the midst of a discussion about all the events of the last few days when Jesus walked up and accompanied them in their journey. They were unaware that it was actually Jesus walking alongside them for God prevented them from recognizing Him. So here Jesus is coming up beside these two disciples. They're just... And He's listening to what they're having to say. He's coming in on the middle of their conversation. Alright? Got the picture in your head? Right? Here they are. They're just casually walking down. They're talking. And Jesus said to them, You seem to be in a deep discussion about something. What you talking about? So sad and gloomy. I just love the cunningness of Jesus. He is so playful. He is so intimate. He is such just... He's life. Man, if we could just wrap our minds around this. They stopped and the one named Cleopas answered, Haven't you heard? Are you the only one in Jerusalem unaware of the things that have happened over the last few days? He could have easily said, 
Bro, I know it's me. It happened to me. I should know more than any of y'all. In fact, I do know more than y'all. You should have seen where I went. You should have seen what I had to do to get back to where I'm at right now. You should have been with me when I ascended to the Father. All these things he could have said. So cunning. So loving. And Jesus instead said, What things? <laughs> I love him. The things about Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they replied. He was a mighty prophet of God who performed miracles, wonders. His words are powerful. He had great favor with God and the people. But three days ago, the high priest and the rulers of the people sentenced him to death and he was crucified. We had all hoped that he was the one who would redeem and rescue Israel. Early this morning, some of the women informed us of something amazing. They said they weren't. They said they went to the tomb and found it empty. They claimed two angels appeared and told them that Jesus is now alive. Some of us went to see for ourselves and found the tomb exactly as the women had said. But no one has seen it. And Jesus said to them, Why are you so thick-headed? Why do you find it so hard to believe every word the prophets have spoken? Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to experience all these sufferings and afterward enter into His glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, He carefully unveiled to them the revelation of Himself throughout the Scriptures. Now again, this would probably have been a good point to say. Now, would you like to receive Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? Repeat after me this prayer. But He didn't. Did he? As they approached the village, Jesus walked on ahead, telling them he was going to a distant place. And they urged him to remain there with them and pleaded, Stay with us. It'll be dark soon. So Jesus went with them into the village. Do they notice who he is still to this point? Not a clue. Joining them at the table for supper. Listen to this. Now this is where it changes. You getting it now? You getting it now? Sitting with them at the table for supper, he took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them all at once. Their eyes were open. All at once. Their eyes were open and they realized he was Jesus. And suddenly, in a flash, Jesus vanished from before their eyes. Stunned, they looked at each other and said, Why didn't we recognize Him? Didn't our hearts burn with flames of holy passion while we walked beside Him? He unveiled for us such profound revelation from the Scripture. And I'd like to propose to you this morning, you can hear these scriptures week after week and say, did not our hearts burn as we heard the Word preached like that? But He wants you to go beyond feeling the burning of the scriptures. He wants to be revealed to you face to face. And Paul reminds us, just as this story right here unfolded before your eyes, he reminds us as we take communion, let the veil be lifted and have intimacy with, with Jesus. So everybody take 
your brain. Yeah. Once you get it out, and go ahead and take the top layer off so you're ready for your wine as well. I thought it was juice. Well, it was the first year we had it. Not now. And I want you to close your eyes before we partake. Holy Spirit, you're here. Jesus, you said the Holy Spirit will reveal to us all things, always pointing us to you. Holy Spirit, let the veil be removed. Let everyone in this room see you. Intimacy with you. So without opening your eyes, Bail be removed. And you begin on your own. As you feel that, you take the bread, his body, the blood, the wine. Open your heart. Let him in. <laughs> 